scripture today comes from Ecclesiastes. Bless the God of all, who everywhere works great wonders, and by who, whose will all things are made. The shining stars are the beauty of the universe, a glittering array in the heights of God. Look at the rainbow and praise the one who made it. It stretches across the sky with its glorious arc. By God's command, lightning flashes from heaven and thunder shakes the earth. Cold snow blows from the north and the south wind brings summer breezes. The sun's heat scorches the wilderness and withers the grass like fire. Wet mist hovers between the mountains and falling dews refresh the land. The swelling sea is full of danger and the strange creatures crawl forth from its depths. By heaven's word, all things are created. We could say more, but could never say enough. Let the final word be, God is in all things. So bless the God of all who everywhere works great wonders, who watches over our life from birth to death and deals with us mercifully. May there be peace in our days and may there be gladness in our hearts. This is the word of the Lord. So I wanted to start with some scripture that set me on my journey of awe as it relates to God, whom I later found, and I later learned to call the ground of being. So this is from Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and measured the heavens with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth with a measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him, With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And this from Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens the divine plan by words without knowledge? Now tighten the belt on your waist like a man, and I shall ask you, and you inform me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the measuring line over it? Or on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Man, that scripture takes hold of me every time I read it. So, Amago, I cannot convince you to care about creation, and I can't convince you to care about your connection to it, and I can't convince you to care about God. All I can do is show you what I've come to learn and understand and see about our connection to everything there is. And it is a very old story. One told by every religious tradition, this idea that we were all connected, that we are all connected. As Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. Each generation and each person discovers it anew for themselves. Some of us try to show others. It's like looking at someone's vacation pictures, which I love to do. I love to see their faces animate in joy and telling me about the joy they've experienced. It makes me want to have my own pictures of that place or that experience. And why is that? Because I believe your story matters. What you've experienced matters. And when you tell me your story or show me your way, I get to see something of God I have never seen, and that matters. 
As someone who feels things deeply and wants to feel the awe of all the earth and that what God has to offer, I want to soak in what God has shown you and what he will show me through your eyes. I am so grateful to be here in this universe. There's a song called Saturn by Sleeping at Last. It has this beautiful line. The universe was made just to be seen by my eyes, by your eyes, Imago. So if we were together, I'd have pictures and I'd show you places I'd been and I collect rocks and minerals. Um, I'm a geology major and I would show you these things and I would have lots of metaphors and um, tangible ways for you to come up after the service and see some of the things and touch some of the things that I've experienced. But I can't do that today. So what I can do is I can offer what I've learned about creation and I believe that it really does matter. One of the ways it matters is that creation has the capacity to shake us out of our stupor. This life where we plod onto the next thing always Instead of just plodding on to the next thing, what would happen if we treated each moment as a teacher? What if each distraction was actually God trying to get our attention? Christian Wyman, um, in My Bright Abyss, it's a book of essays he wrote, he says this. And I'm going to quote a lot of people today, and I'm going to tell you why at the very end. We crave, as humans, radical ruptures when we have allowed the nerves of our inner lives to go numb But after those ruptures, the excitement or the tragedy, the pleasure or the pain, the beauty or the ugliness, the mind returns to what it was and the soul quicksilvers off from the peace of experience and the kingdom of boredom, which could be the kingdom of God, begins the clock tick towards its next collapse. St. Francis of Assisi, someone who is renowned for his care of creation, wrote a poem called Ring Out My Clothes. Such love does now the sky pour that whenever I stand in a field, I have to wring out the light when I get home. In a commentary on that poem, Roger Houston says, light is love and wisdom made visible. Now speaking of light, consider the burning bush that we learn about um, in Moses' story. What if Moses had not been curious and turned aside at the strange thing he saw? Would we have missed the great declaration of awareness and presence from God? I am. Moses' curiosity led him to know God. What if your curiosity could lead you to know God too? One of my favorite quotes, I have no idea who said it. I saw it in like a kitschy vacation shop somewhere. It's, be curious, be awestruck. When was the last time you were awestruck, Imago? What do you do when it feels like it's been a while since you've even felt awe? Have you felt trapped? What do you do when you feel like there's nothing new under the sun, when plodding on to the next thing is dissatisfying? So there's a man um, named Lucerin. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I'm sorry. But he was blind from the age of eight, and um, he was a person who founded a resistance group in World War II, and he was later imprisoned in a concentration camp. And this is what he says Um, about unhappiness, maybe this dissatisfaction. He says, unhappiness is always to feel oneself imprisoned in one's own skin, in one's own brain. He didn't say a concentration camp. He said being trapped inside of himself. And I go, have you ever felt that? I know I certainly have. So you you may be thinking, we live in the Midwest, It's a February, it's cold. It happens to be sunny today, but lots of days in January or February are dreary, and they're like the longest months of the year. This is actually not February 6th, it's like February 31st or something like that. 
Um, so you might be thinking, there's no way I'm getting out of my head and into creation today. There's no way to be awestruck. But I encourage you to seek out what this day has to offer, what you can see of creation has to offer. Um, Melinda gave me a, a book this week um, by Eugene Peterson, and he was describing in this book Brother Lawrence's conversion. And this is what he says. Brother Lawrence, I don't know if you guys know him, he, was, he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. He was a monk, and he basically found the presence of God washing dishes for most of his life and talks about the conversations that he had. But for his conversion experience that led to that, this is what, what he says. On a midwinter day at the age of 18, he saw a dry leafless tree standing gaunt against the snow. It stirred deep thoughts within him of the change the coming spring would bring. At that moment, he decided to be a person in whom spring would come, letting the life of Christ take root and blossom in his whole being. That's all. It was that simple. The winter tree preached a sermon to him. He repented and believed. Have you ever let a tree preach a sermon to you? Have you ever even noticed a tree? And not just when it's green with life. Those are easy because they're everywhere. But the trees outside today, we might think they're all brown, but they're not. Did you notice that? Have you ever noticed that? Some of them look so different without the green to take away from the beauty of their trunks and their branches. And I encourage you to notice them as you go home today. Some of them are almost like a purple brown. Some are white, some are smooth and silver. Have you ever noticed that? Even in winter, in dormancy and rest, there is beauty to be found. And in you too, not just in creation, but that's a sermon for another day. So I want to seek wisdom in how to shake off this unhappiness, this dissatisfaction of being stuck here in the dreary, in our own minds and bodies and thoughts, to find beauty. What could this wisdom look like as we seek it? So this is from the Wisdom of Solomon, um, and the author says, Wisdom was in the beginning with God. She is creation's artist and the fashioner of everything that exists. Somehow, according to this artist, uh, sorry, this um, author, creation, knowing creation means knowing wisdom, which is knowing God. So we can say that being grounded through creation binds us to God. Now, maybe the tree isn't a thing for you. Maybe creation and noticing creation isn't really a thing for you. But have you ever considered that creation's actually all around us? It's not just nature. There are, there's just so much, there's just tons to notice. So um, if you ever hang out with me, one of the shows that I quote a lot is, is the show Bones. Um, you don't have to like it, that's fine. But there's a quote in it by Temperance Brennan, and this is what she says. And just to kind of show you that it's not just nature. Beauty can be found anywhere. Two plus two equals four. I put sugar in my coffee and it tastes sweet. The sun comes up because the world turns. These things are beautiful to me. There are mysteries I will never understand, but everywhere I look, I see proof that for every effect, there is a corresponding cause. Even if I can't see it, I find that reassuring. So for me in my faith, that causes love, God, and the physics he created. Physics is, is for real. I mean, if it moves, it's physics. Um, but these concepts don't, these don't uh, fight in my brain. God created the universe, so he created a physics to govern it. Richard Rohr, who I, I'm going to quote a lot more in this, in this message, he says, this earth is indeed the very body of God, and it is from this body that we are born, live, suffer, and resurrect to eternal life. Either all, everything, is God's great project, or we may rightly wonder whether anything is. 
How we relate to God reveals how we eventually relate to anything else. How we relate to the world is how we are actively relating to God, whether we know it or not. And you can, you can check me on that. It's 1 John 4.20. How we do anything is how we do everything. So we need things and we need people to help us see how we're relating to all that is around us. When we're all alone, we think we are doing great. Put another person or another object sometimes even in the mix and your issues are gonna rise to the surface very quickly. We are so good at fooling ourselves, but we were made for relationships with others and with the creation and with God. Like Rohr said, it's all of one piece. So now let us consider that in the past, faith and science have been at odd for some people and sometimes they still are. However, faith and science no longer have to be at war. Don't let anyone fool you. Science is confirming more and more what the mystics already knew. We are all connected. Uh, Diana Butler Bass in her book says, by virtue of being made of the same matter. Um, another author that, that I really like, her name is Judy Canato, she says, all the constituents that would eventually come together into the person that is you was present in the Bing Bang. We carry within us the very energy that fashioned the stars. Elizabeth Johnson goes even farther and says, out of the Big Bang, the stars. Out of the stardust, the earth. Out of the matter of the earth, life. Out of the life and death of single-celled creatures, an advancing tide, trilobites, fish, amphibians, insects, flowers, birds, reptiles, and mammals, among whom emerge human beings. Mammals with brains so complex that we experience self-conscious intelligence and freedom. According to this scientific theory, everything is connected with everything else. British scientist and theologian Arthur Peacock explains, every atom of iron in our blood would not be there had it not been produced in some galactic explosion billions of years ago and eventually condensed to form the iron in the crust of the earth from which we have emerged. Quite literally, human beings are made of stardust. Bass goes on to say this new vision of connectedness knits spirituality, science, ushers me into the presence of God as often as I bring my attention to it. So much of our Christianity could be summed up with the word paying attention. Bass says what we need is a shift. Um, even the song we sang, heaven, like, you know, God being in heaven, have you ever considered that the sky actually starts at your feet? Sally McFaig says, what if we saw the earth as part of the body of God, not as separate from who God, so, sorry, not as separate from God who dwells elsewhere, but as the visible reality of the invisible God? It can be really hard to get there sometimes, Imago, so I ask you to consider this parable by David Foster Wallace. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, and who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the heck is water? So if the water is invisible to the fish, is God, as the one in whom we swim, also invisible? Paul in Acts 17 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, 
having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul Tillich says, we must abandon the external height images in which the theistic God has historically been perceived and replace them with internal depth images of a deity who is not apart from us, but who is the very core and ground of all that is. And this idea is where I get my understanding of the phrase that works best for me to describe the divine, the ground of being. Amago, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but Jesus was not the first incarnation of God. Creation is the first incarnation. Paul says this in Romans 1. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Richard Rohr says this. Later centuries tended to lose this mystical element, what Paul is talking about, of considering creation the first incarnation. They, favored it, um, they lost it in favor of dualistic Christianity, which is a way of seeing in black and white. And liminal spaces, those thin spaces, are really hard to come by when you're thinking in black and white, because then there is no gray to tear away and find what's underneath. Since we could not overcome the split between the spiritual and the material within ourselves, how then could we possibly overcome it for the rest of creation? The polluted earth, extinct and endangered species, tortured animals, nonstop wars, and constant religious conflicts have been the result, the fruit of that thinking. Think about our world today. Yet Jesus, the Christ, has still planted within creation a cosmic hope, Roar says, and we cannot help but see it in so many unexplainable, unexplainable wonderful events in people. And he says, for some Christians, the split is overcome in the person of Jesus. But for more and more people, union with the divine is first experienced through the universal Christ, in nature, in moments of pure love, silence, inner and outer music, with animals, or a primal sense of awe. Why? Because creation itself is the first incarnation of Christ, the primary and foundational Bible that reveals the path to God. Our encounter with the eternal Christ mystery started about 13.8 billion years ago in an event we now call the Big Bang. God has overflowed into visible reality and revealed God's self in trilobites, giant flightless birds, jellyfish, pterodactyls, and thousands of species that humans have never once seen. But God did, and that was already more than enough meaning and glory. So recent mystics too, um, so Richard Orr is still alive, but across time, mystics are saying things like this. And, and it's not just, you know, old ones or ones that um, are contemporary. Like, the middle space exists with people talking about this, too. Howard Thurman, who died in 1991, said, In the contemplation of the earth, I know that I am surrounded by the love of God. So what now? What do you do with this connection to creation, Imago? Kind of the how now shall we live? I just want to challenge you that the way you worship and pray shapes the way you believe, which in turn shapes the way you live. And I have to be honest with you, I think the reverse is true. The way you choose to live can shape the way you worship and pray, 
So, Imago, choose wisely. For me, I feel connected to God in nature, or even considering nature, um, which affects how I spend my time. Uh, we, as a family, vacation in national parks every year. I love to watch videos about nature, um, kind of like PBS on purpose. There's really good, great courses I'm watching right now called The Visual Guide to the Universe, and it's fascinating. Um, I like to learn and read about all of the science behind the things that we see. And this consideration of nature has led me to describe myself as a panentheist. Now, pantheism is thinking that things, can, like, that things are God. It is not panentheism. Um, Butler Bass uh, defines panentheism this way. God is not a tree. A tree is not God. But God is with the tree, and the tree is with God. When something becomes an object, it is much easier to use or abuse for one's own purpose. So as a panentheist, I believe God is in all things and cares deeply about all of it, especially the hurts and ills of his creation. Because of this, my connection to God, it is imperative that the suffering of our world, not just creation, but everyone and everything, matters to me and affects me. I no longer get to live an insulated life. I must use what I know for reconnection. Almost a thousand years ago, a mystic named Hildegard of Bingen, who wrote a lot of really good stuff, this is what she says, a thousand years ago, if we fall in love with creation deeper and deeper, we will respond to its endangerment with passion. And I'm not going to lecture you, Imago, about how to do this. You can find hundreds or thousands of articles on the internet about how you can make a difference when it comes to taking better care of creation. I'm going to share a couple of things that we focus on in our family right now, knowing that we could do more and that what we'll do in the future could possibly change. That more of a when you, you know better, you do better thing. So we stop buying plastic bags. We use reusable ones. We don't buy paper towels or paper napkins. We use fabric that can be washed. We try to repair or repurpose many things in our lives instead of throwing them away. We recycle. We try to pass on the love of creation to our family by trying to see as much of it as we can. I try to learn all I can about this universe that I live in so that I, my awe, I can sustain my awe. I try to remain curious about others, even when they disappoint me, because I'm called to care for them too. We donate to organizations that are trying to conserve our national parks. And I try to keep the conversation open about hard topics, knowing that everyone deserves a chance to be on their own journey. And I trust the Holy Spirit will lead them into truth. And that can be really hard. So this is a quote that I actually saw at a national park, and I believe it to be true because I've experienced it many times in my life when I'm tempted to be lonely or forget that I'm connected to this beautiful incarnation of God. They who dwell among the beauties and mysteries of the earth are never alone or weary in life. Wendell Berry says, the idea of heaven doesn't take religion very far because the distance makes for too great an abstraction. Love as the very being of God, has to wear a face. And that face is our neighborhood, our neighbors and other creatures, the earth and its inhabitants. Imago creation shows us that we are not separate, and I cling to this in my daily faith. Once again, Rohr says, the principle of the incarnation proclaims that matter and spirit have never been separate. When we believe this illusion of separateness, um, this is when I believe we're in sin. Separation leads us to do all kinds of horrible things because we believe it doesn't actually affect anyone else. 
creation is all connected and shows us this in tangible ways, ecosystems, watershed, excuse me, the watershed, the rain cycle, so many different things. Only humans seem to think that we're separate and above and apart from all of that. And it's causing destruction out there and inside of ourselves. So Amago, I encourage you to be open to change. Be open to the idea that we are intrinsically connected to all there is, to everyone there is. Be open to curiosity. Where can it take you? Be open to the awe that awaits you as you become aware of the ground of being all around you. So I'm going to read one more quote. This is from Judy Canato. This is a book called Contemplative Lessons from Black Holes, Supernovas, and Other Wonders of the Universe. She's written a lot of really good um, intersectionality things between science and religion. It's fascinating. But this is what she says about awe. So remember that line, be curious, be awestruck. She says, awe begins with at least a momentary cessation of activity, kind of that silence that we practiced a couple weeks ago. In order to behold what is present, what endeavors to evoke a response, to elicit a signal that we have seen the sacred, awe enables us to recognize the connectedness of all things and live in the humility that flows from knowing how connected we are. As we grow in the capacity to recognize the holy in each moment, we create a field that enhances all of life, not merely our own. Awe draws us beyond ourselves, opens our hearts, and allows us to tumble head over heels in a mystery, mystery that seeks ever greater revelation and communion. Fidelity to awe, the commitment to be attentive to the many ways life is emergent around us, enables us to live contemplative lives. And living contemplative lives keeps us open, keeps us evolving, and keeps us connected to our universe and add to God. So I've quoted books, poetry, scripture ideas, and the reason I've quoted so many things is because I believe Ecclesiastes when it says there's nothing new under the sun. And yet, in Lamentations 3, we are assured that God's mercies are new every morning. It's a great paradox to live in. I encourage you, Imago, to curate your life. So I can only talk and, and quote these things because I've curated what I, what I live. I've curated the books I've read and the people I listen to, and, and I've read scripture. I've paid attention. I'm trying to pay attention more and more, more and more I've curated what I absorb. And Imago, I encourage you to curate your life in fidelity to awe. And I firmly believe you will not be disappointed because, Imago, you were made for passion. You were made for beauty. You were made for awe and wonder. All right, Imago. Let me pray for us. For rest in the night and the day's busyness. For the silence of the winter earth, followed by spring's energy and summer's fruiting. Thanks be to you, O God, in the pattern of seasons, in the rhythm of our days. Show us the stillness that renews life, the letting go that deepens our strength of soul. Amen.